0: Hello, dear listeners. Editing Leo here. Just so you know, this episode contains some mention of violence at some point. Just as a quick heads up, if that bothers you. Alright, now, on to the episode. I hope you like it. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Universe Podcast. I am your host, Leo, here with my co-host, Charlotte.
1: Hello! Hello!
0: And our guest, Marie! Hi! Hello, everybody! Marie, I know you've been on the show before, and people might already know you, but still, could you introduce yourself?
1: Well, I'm very honoured to be here for the 13th episode, which is obviously cursed. I am (laughs) the president of the universe, um, and the founder.
0: Nice to have you here. We're going to start with the reading, as we've done during the last couple of times. Marie is going to read a piece called Lessons from the Berry Picker.
1: Hmm. Should <clears throat> I just yeah. go right into it? Yeah,
0: just start okay. reading.
1: Lessons of the Berry Picker Lesson number one They keep the quiet ones alive. Those who scream as their arrival are pierced through the chest and dissipate like smoke around their polished beaks. Lesson number two They're beautiful. I stare as the white bones glow in the night. I think of snow, of the light at the end of a tunnel, of luminous flowers that grow in the earth. Lesson number three. They come from outside, above our heads. The uterine flesh-coloured bubble still holds our school in a place next to time. Everything is still, but we wonder. Lesson number four. There is a mask that lives in the darkness of the machinery room. Bodiless, it hangs in a corner. Some of the others whisper that they have seen it move. A wide blur, zipping in the corners of eyes. Lesson number five. They assigned our duties in school uniforms during the night we walked the hallway in single file, watching the bobbing hair of the students before us. If we were unlucky, we find ourselves kneeling, lining the square. Lesson number six. There, we pick berries from bony white thorns in the night. It is always night. Lesson number seven. I listen as I pick the berries pricking my skin to the steps of the others passing behind me, like this, like this, like this, like this, like this, like this. this. A heartbeat that vibrates throughout the school and gets weaker with each passing round. Lesson number eight. I stare at him whenever I walk. He was in 4A, a year above me, and kind. We never spoke, but I felt like he knew me in silence. Now he kneels with the others and takes berries in kind, both of our hands caked in redness. Lesson number nine. We all crack, inevitably. But he is still here. One in a row of three that once counted thirty. For the first time, he looks back at me, over the square. When he meets my eyes, I feel like myself for a moment, both of our eyes screaming without making a sound. Lesson number ten. I almost panic when a piercing human sound tears the thin line between us. We both run, our red fingers over our lips, still in silence. No, it was one of the children much better at hiding than we are. I wish I knew where they take them. Lesson number 11 They took him. Lesson number 12 I see more and more bones every night. Bird-like, crawling, their eyes gleaming green in their skulls. They're beautiful, even now that their tunnels narrow around me, and the roots of their flowers choke me as I breathe. Their green eyes remind me of his. Lesson number 14 I'm given to understand it's an honour as they flank me on both sides protectively so I don't spill the berries heaped in my bowl I am last Lesson number 15 I open the machine like a bite the white mask darts out latches onto my face in starvation the berries tumble into the machine and my mask makes me
0: follow So this is great. This is a great piece. Thank you. And it really feels like you you painted a nightmare for us.
1: Is it a nightmare? I don't know. I've heard people say that it's quite beautiful. And I've heard people say that it's horrific.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful in a nightmarish kind of way.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: when dreams can be beautiful, like the imagery you described... But
1: still I mean we talked about Hannibal just a while ago. Yeah. I think that was the kind of vibe I was going for. Mm-hmm. Grotesque beauty. Yeah.
2: yeah. When I read it myself, I uh gave it a very different tone and pace oh, in really? my head. And now when you just read it, it was you read it like in a very calm way that made me feel like the the narrator of the of the piece or story or whatever you want to call it. Um is it peace? And when I read it, I was like, oh my god, this person doesn't know what's going on, they're like really stressed out, they're so confused, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, and in the end they kind of die, I don't know, like, what? <laughs> so th- it's really cool. That's, yeah. I think that's probably true, though.
1: Like I think how I read it is how they want to appear. In mm-hmm. my mind it was a she, um, how she wants to appear, but... I think this is how they feel, mm-hmm. how I'm she like, feels. Uh, you know, she's really, really scared, but okay. at the same time, she's also fascinated. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the reason why she survives so long is because she has the ability to appear calm, because, you mm-hmm. know, they keep the quiet ones alive. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's the quietest. Mm-hmm. Um, but inside, I think she's definitely, you know, screaming mm-hmm. and running and going okay. to circles. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think your reading brought some things out really well that I didn't notice when I read it on my own. What I was thinking of was uh, the one, the lines, and we run our fingers, Mm. our our red fingers over our lips, you know, that that at first you you think they run, but they don't run, really. fingers
1: run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is it based on a dream you had?
1: It is, yeah. It's very closely just like the dream that I had. The only difference is that in my dream she wasn't the last one. In my dream there were still other kids, and all the kids were regularly being sacrificed. Um, and I don't know that. I don't know how you interpreted it, but in my head the idea was kind of that these alien skeleton birds come <laughs> to the school, and uh, they want to feast. And so what they feast on is the berries that grow in the schoolyard. <clears throat> but they also feast on, on human blood. And so the way they do it is they bring the berries... They, they bring students to bring the berries to the machine. And then the moment they put the berries in, the, the students get sacked in as well. And so um, the, the blood and the berries mix and then they feast on that. But in my story, it isn't actually quite like that. In my story, they just eat the berries and kill all the other humans. And then she's the chosen one, so to say... Um, who in the end gets to be turned into the bloodberry beast
2: I don't know it seemed it seemed more right like that
0: okay that's really
2: interesting because I one of my notes says um where is it um um what is the machine? Is it making juice or blood? Because both are red liquids. I mean, I I, I thought of red berries that make mm. red juice, and then, ah, blood because they fall in and die. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think yeah, I kind of imagined the machine being a very big juice machine. Kind of you throw in berries yeah, yeah. and then you get juice out, <laughs> but you can also throw in children and get blood out.
0: I mean, you can throw children into juice machines.
2: You so. <laughs> chopped them up first, yeah. I guess. I mean, I, I imagined that one being a very big one. Yeah, yeah,
1: me too. I kind of imagine it too also being, you know, not realistically big. So technically, a student shouldn't fit, but there is this sort of black hole in the machine that just kind of sucks mm-hmm. with the mask.
0: What's, what's recently been on your mind that might have caused this dream...
1: Whew, good question. I mean, I had the dream a while ago. I had it, I think, three quarters of a year ago. Um, and I think... what was what was it back then? Hmm. I mean, the reason why it took me so long to write it down is because I didn't find the right format. I tried normal poem, I tried prose, I tried everything, and then in the end I kind of end up with this, and so it took me roughly nine months to finally get here. Back then, what could have inspired me... Oh, oh, well, there is this one manga that I've read. The the Ancient Major's Bride. And it's about this demon who has a skull head. And he's called Elias. The whole story is very weird. It's basically an Oscar Wilde-ish story set in England with fairies and whatnot. And she gets married... She's 15, and she gets married to a millions of years old demon and not oh, even to go into okay. the implication of that.
2: Um, that's but intense. The
1: story is actually not as horrific as I probably would have liked it to be. Um, so maybe my subconscious wanted to fill in some of the gaps.
2: Ah, because
1: uh-huh. the story itself tries to be very sweet. I think that's probably not the way to go with a story like this.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so who would you say is The berry picker then, is it a demon, is it a person, is it something completely different?
1: Well, in my head, the berry picker was the narrator, and Mm -hmm. she is, in my head, very much human. Okay, I see. Um, Until the very end, when God knows what happens to her. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I'm honestly not quite sure that it, there might be this kind of archetype thing going on because it's a bit of a series with the dreams that I've had. I also have the lessons of the woman tree that I read in mm-hmm. one of our readings. So I guess I'm, also, I'm working on the lessons of the XY now <laughs> or something. So let's see what, what happens with that. Maybe the berry picker is just, an, you know, a rough...
2: And do you think of some of the berry picker's lessons can be or should be applied to real life
1: Um, they keep the quiet ones alive, probably (laughs) applies in a lot of situations. Um, Whether you should abide by it is a different question. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, interestingly you bring it up, I guess a lot of the lessons are a lot more about survival Mm -hmm. than they are about morality. Um...
2: So, actually, it's a kind of a survival guide, so if yeah. you could write a book about <laughs> surviving in, yeah, in horrific uh, dystopian nest, situations, oh yes. Guide. yes, yes, I love it, it's <laughs> no, so so, so hilarious. It's basically the same
0: thing. Yeah, I mean, the school there was a bit less dystopian, <laughs> but bit. it was still pretty <laughs> dystopic, it was a weird school. <laughs>
1: I just loved the, the woodcrafting that they did all the time, I was like, why don't we have that one like, with the clock? <laughs> I suppose the lesson I would, I would urge people to apply is I see more and more, but then it goes on with bones every night, so
2: <laughs> I'm not sure about that.
1: I listen. I listen is a good one. I listen. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's, that's good, it's mm-hmm. clean can get sued for that.
0: <laughs> I think we can say it's pretty abstract. Yeah. The lessons are rather abstract people can make what they will of them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I read it in the, in the meeting, some people said
2: that they aren't actually lessons.
1: Like, what do we have here?
2: Some of them, I think, are quite straightforward and others are more mysterious.
1: Yeah, they assigned our duties somewhere yeah, yeah. So I agree with that. I just, I don't know. It seemed right to have a sort of lesson system uh-huh, uh-huh. in school. I wish I could explain it. I
2: can't.
0: <laughs> Maybe it'll explain itself later after a couple
2: Maybe. of these
0: lessons.
2: Yeah.
0: Or in retru- things always make start to make sense in retrospective.
1: Once they put me in the machine, I'll probably understand. <laughs> Maybe this, you know, heralds the bringing of the aliens, and they mm. just send the message through me.
0: I feel like there's almost some aspects of world-building in there, like you've set a really, like, a very well-crafted and thought out scene for the poem, and, like, the school and the uterine flesh colour bubble, the machinery room, the hallway, the square, did you have any specific place in mind when you wrote this?
1: Yeah, I mean, my dream, I guess, might be the obvious answer. I just dream very, very vividly. If I dream, I'm basically there. Uh, I, I had a time period where I managed to dream, what do you call it, lucidly? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't do that so often anymore, if at all, it's just half lucid. It just was a lot of work, actually, to put in, to be con- so conscious. Um, but when I did, that was a lot of fun. I could actually fly. It was, that was so cool. <laughs> um, but still, if I dream, it's very vivid. And I, I was there, you know, I saw the school. I couldn't say that it's an actual place that I've ever been to. It was all very geometric. It was a literal square. And I think the reason why I struggled so much with finding the right format was because I wanted to convey the sense of, you know, Dread and doom that's in the architecture itself, and they just wander around the square and they keep wondering and wondering, and yeah, no, I was, I could paint it for you if I was a better painter, <laughs> <laughs> and it's in my mind, yeah.
2: I agree with with Leo. the The images you create, they kind of reminded me of. I kind of really felt like I was there, and I could see it, and it also. Made me think of it could be a short film or or a trailer for for something that would be cool. with the school and all this this eerie like mood going around nobody knows what's happening and then this, this strange machine and then somebody sitting in the back and just watching and then those weird alien bird thingies and then <laughs> masks that get sucked in and then the music it would be really strange and creepy but good. <laughs> really good I think
0: <laughs> yeah I think it would work really well these devices where the screen goes black in between
2: mm. which just
0: goes from the outside Lesson in less than one, Lesson Lesson one. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. you just see them walking down the hallway with their hair bobbing and then there's like a, a thump and the back screen goes black again and then the next picture that's
1: so cool <laughs> I mean if any of our listeners are feeling inspired <laughs> no, that's, that would be so cool our video game, where you have to survive.
2: Yes, that yes, yes. Great.
1: Did you actually think of them as birds? Because when I read yeah. them, a lot of people didn't realise they were supposed to be birds.
2: Not like, necessarily, no. I, I just uh, realised it when you said they were birds.
1: I had this kind of dinosaur-ish uh-huh. thing in mind, you know, they're literally just skeletons. And they literally look like moving dinosaur skeletons. But since okay. dinosaurs turn into birds, eventually they also have these really long beaks. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of makes
2: it yeah. so... you described the beaks, now it makes so much sense, of course, that they're birds. Yeah. But
1: still, it didn't get through to mm. some people mm-hmm. as well. And I was like, mm, maybe I should rephrase that, probably.
2: If you really want to make it into a game, I have a friend who's a game designer.
1: Oh, I have so many ideas for games. If your friend is ever bored, I have like... Ten concepts laying
2: around. <laughs> I could ask him if he if he was interested in being on the podcast just for fun. Because oh, cool. he, he's working in Berlin since a couple of years in the game designing that's so cool. world and his English is perfect. So yeah, maybe. For some reason, in a way, the lessons of the berry picker made me think of Adam Ginsberg's Howl. Ooh, that's such a compliment. I love that. Because poem. I think they're both very mysterious in a way and can be interpreted in multiple ways which i always like about um literature and also the images that are created are kind of i think also uh, there's a lot of imagery in both of them Mm. and then i remembered you saying that like a while ago you were writing uh, or reading a lot of ginsberg yeah it
1: was that might add up
2: so i was wondering if you would say that ginsberg influences you or has influenced hmm. your writing?
1: I Maybe this particular piece
2: or something else?
1: Temporarily work out. Yeah, it might have been <laughs> It's kind of funny, isn't it, how, you know, in a review, you find the reasons for writing something mm-hmm. for the first and you're like, hmm, <laughs> you know I subconscious better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that might be it. I watched... Um, Two movies about Ginsburg, as well, and one of them was very, very interesting. It was a mixture of an interview where, what's his face? James Franco? I think James Franco plays Ginsburg. Yeah. And he um, reenacts the whole trial about his book because people claimed that it was uh, indecent and should be banned. And um, in the end, he won the trial by arguing that art should be free mm-hmm. and so on. And vastly oversimplified. And then it was mixed with animated sequences of Howl. And it was so cool, because the the animation was something in between 2D and 3D, and <laughs> it just kept changing its shape, mm-hmm. and then the the whole... I mean, it was set in the big city, obviously, mm-hmm. because it's supposed to encapsulate that kind of spirit. But then you had monsters just flying over street lamps and all the people converging into one huge monster and just the things that you can do with animation it just couldn't do in a normal movie. Mm-hmm. Just, so everything changes and explodes and blah, and it's mm-hmm. That's so cool. And the whole color scheme was also very muted. Mm-hmm. So it might have inspired me, in a way. mm mm-hmm
2: probably. And also, I mean, there are, um, you can just go on YouTube and Google Howell, and then you have Ginsburg reading it in 10 Mm -hmm. minutes.
1: I actually don't like his
2: reading. And it's just the way he read it is very, I think also kind of was for me kind of different to how I always read Howell. because he's also kind of rather calm, Mm. which is weird in a way because it's kind of such a revolutionary poem in a way.
1: Yeah. I don't know, I, did, I, I listened to it as well back then and it disappointed me. Mm-hmm. I thought, it, you know, sometimes authors just aren't very good readers mm-hmm. actually and they shouldn't be allowed to read their own stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was at a reading once and the story was brilliant and she just her own work with her own voice. It was such a tragedy. I don't know if one day people will say that about me, but it just, it just had so much, just listening to it. But with Ginsberg, I thought, I don't know, maybe just wanted to appeal to the audience. Or just
2: but I think it's better to be a good writer and a shitty reader than being a shitty writer and a good reader, because that also <laughs> is possible. I've also went to readings where people had kind of a very bad piece of writing, but they read it in a fantastic way, so th- the audience was kind of like, yeah, this is so great, and I was like, okay.
1: And then you go home and you're like, why did I buy this? Yeah, it's so exactly.
2: <laughs> I mean, they can always go into
0: voice acting if the writing doesn't work out for yeah, people. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I think also the style, you know, the kind of beat thing, mm-hmm. that inspired me a lot. Mm-hmm. It might be... Charlotte, the way you
2: know me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I, uh, I drink and I know things. Like Tyrion Lannister would say that.
1: <laughs> I feel very transparent.
0: <laughs> if you're like Tyrion, you shouldn't have turned down the wine before. True. You were offered I mean,
1: I am
2: drinking, but it. it's not an alcoholic.
1: Is that why you're only drinking from your own bottle? <laughs> are you afraid I'm going to poison
0: you? <laughs> no, this is actually a vodka. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: right. <laughs> water he says mm-hmm.
0: the poem at one point just said we all crack eventually hmm. did the speaker crack though the speaker kind of kept their we already talked about this they didn't really keep their core cool, but they kept up the the, the outboard uh, facade kind of
1: um, I mean I don't know if you noticed it, but lesson 13 is missing And I kind of imagined that lesson 13 is where that happens.
0: I didn't notice that lesson 13 was missing. This is so good. This is so great. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Um, It's also the same with Lessons of the Woman Tree. It's kind of a theme that one lesson is just gone. And in my head, the idea is that in that lesson that is not shown, the transformation happens, sort of. So you have the before and the after. And this is why, until Lesson 13, she kind of just does their bidding. And then in Lesson 14, she's already on their side. And she walks in the machine and is eaten, sacrificed, however you want to say it. Um, so I think that is the moment when she just either completely gives in, or at least sees that she doesn't have any other chance of leaving. But from the very beginning, she's very taken in by them. She just thinks they're beautiful and so on. So I think. I'm not sure if she had to crack, you know? If you want to be super pseudo intellectual, you might say she was cracked from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know, but I do think that him disappearing, whoever he is, the boy from Foray, that did. that it hurt her a lot.
2: I really like that we don't know how they all got there and how this all happened. It's really like you're thrown in in there and you're kind of as confused or desperate as the people who are experiencing this.
1: Yeah, I also wasn't there in the beginning of my dream, I just kind of saw them descending from this bubble, and they took over the school.
2: Yeah, I love that about dreams that often you have no idea how how you got somewhere, but it doesn't matter to you, because you're like, I'm there, and I'm I'm kind of dealing with (laughs) the things happening around me. Yeah, there was that famous line from Inception, isn't it, where they're in the dream,
1: and she's like, yeah, but I mean, how would I know it's a dream? It's like, well, how did you get here? And she's Mm -hmm. like... And then
2: she realises she's in a
1: dream. Yeah. And just, ah, so good.
2: Yeah, really good, yeah.
0: It's really hard, kind of, to point to exactly what this poem makes me feel. It certainly (laughs) certainly makes me feel something, but I can't really grasp what it is. What does it make you feel? What what did you feel while writing it?
1: It's a very particular feeling, isn't it? It's something very unlike... Other things. I think that's why I wanted to write it down so much. It wasn't just anger or fear or love or whatever. I think kind of hopelessness, a kind of giving inness,
2: desperation.
1: I'm not so sure if it's desperation because she she's not that desperate or something that is. You know, a desperation that is so deep already that you try to transform it into acceptance. Mm -hmm. Something like that.
2: The five stages of dying by Elizabeth Kübler-Ross are kind of, in the beginning, you uh, bargain because you don't want to, and then there's depression at some point, and then there's anger, and then there's um, desperation, I think, and then there's acceptance, Mm -hmm. finally. Yeah, I I, I I think I messed the the order up now, but those are those stages, and maybe they apply to her too, because she knows that she eventually can't help dying anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think you could do a reading like that, definitely. But she is very accepting from the beginning, Mm -hmm. probably just because she doesn't have a choice. So she probably yeah. just went through the other stages very quickly. Yeah, maybe we just get. Okay, this is fine. This is great.
2: Yeah, we just catch her at her acceptance stage, yeah. maybe,
1: or maybe in the very last stage, it's finally acceptance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know, f- emotions always confuse me. I wish I could pin down my own emotions a lot better. So I guess it just makes sense that <clears throat> my writing is just as emotionally confused. Uh, I don't know. This is this is kind of how I see most emotions. I think kind of a miss. It's like hmm, just stare <laughs> all right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a really good observation because I guess in every sad story, there's always some moments of laughter and and happiness and joy, and vice versa. So there's just never just one. Actually, yeah. that
1: that might be it. It's bittersweet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's what I was going mm. for.
2: How would you classify this piece of your writing? Would you say it's a poem, or is it something completely different?
1: I wish I knew.
2: Okay, it's something new, probably.
1: Um, <laughs> I guess it's. I mean, you couldn't really argue that it's prose, could you? It's if it had to be classified. I suppose it would be poetry, um, irregular modern poetry. But it also doesn't really feel like poetry to me. Someth- it's something in between for me, yeah. Poetry. Prose. Po-
0: when you're really poetry. good at poetry, it's poetry. <laughs> Proetry, yeah.
1: I'm not a poet, I'm a pro
0: Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a skater. <laughs> skater poets.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Would you say that your dreams? often influence you or is it kind of because I I mean imagination in dreams is even weirder or Mm. more limitless than imagination in a kind of more sane state (laughs) I would say if that exists Um, so I I was wondering if your imagination ever has any limits either when you're awake or when you're dreaming
1: uh, that's that's two very loaded questions, well. Wow. Um, I guess the first one definitely. I've always had a very very close relationship with my dreams. I've always annoyed my parents with it in the morning. It was like six or seven. I would just run up to the breakfast table, and be like, "Oh my god, you won't guess what I dreamed. And like, Tell us about it, honey." And right, are like, "Really?" No. Wow. And they just kept eating their breakfast, and I just went on and off about what I saw and what I'd seen, and yeah. And um I do think that for me dreams have always been kind of a gate into my subconscious mm-hmm. kind of a oh so I guess this is what's going on so if my I hardly ever have nightmares which is probably because I'm just so tight with my subconscious <laughs> but like we, we're buddies you know my subconscious and I we get along very well and sometimes it just kind of mocks up and it's like um, actually we're going through a tough phase right now and then I'm like oh okay let's work this out, work this out. <laughs> And but it's still not really a nightmare it's more of a hey this is kind of uncomfortable and I'm like alright fine let's deal with it <laughs> <laughs> and I think the biggest indicator in my dreams is probably fish Weirdly enough. Um, Okay. Because if I, I often dream about like watery surfaces and seas and lakes and being underwater and whatnot. And I think the fish are very much an indicator of how fine my subconscious is at the moment. Like if I swim along with the fish and everything's fine, that's great. But I have so many dreams, so I'm just trying to get into some kind of body of water, and there are these huge, these monstrous water animals, like the size of New York, just wow. underneath me. And that's always a moment. I'm like, right, I guess I've got some things to work through. So <laughs> that's you know that's kind of a, a thing.
0: It's very, it's very, it's almost like. Metaphorical, in a way, they're just below the surface.
1: Exactly. Like, I didn't know what it was with the fish. I just noticed that they kept cropping up again and again. Then mm-hmm. when I was in Aberdeen, I talked to Christina about it, a friend that I made there. And uh, she was like, well, let's Google it. And I was like, well, why are you going to Google? And she was like, fish are indicative of your subconscious. And I was like, I guess that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess, that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe it's just some kind of weird... System of symbolism that I've created for myself at some point because I had fish, and so my childhood mind was like, I'm as good as the fish are, or we connected in some way. But at some point, my brain must have decided, Yes, this is a reasonable connection to make. If there are big fish, you need to think about it. If there are small fish, it's fine. So here we are. (laughs) Me and the fish.
0: (laughs) No fish in this story. No. Just big skeletal birds.
1: Yeah, I guess that means my mind was on other things and not on my subconscious. They're not in every dream, but if they are, it usually means something. Um, So yes, dreams do influence me. Not in the way that I take them as gospel or I think they're prophecies or something, but in the way that I'm like, hmm. So this is on my mind, Mm -hmm. I guess.
2: And how do you? Like, the the things you make up with your mind in dreams differ from the things that you make up when you're not dreaming, but when you're kind Mm -hmm. of awake.
1: I suppose the biggest difference is that they surprise me. Okay. So, in in reality, I can usually expect what's going to happen. Not always, of course. Mm. But mostly when I go along the streets... I can guess. Yeah, it's gonna be cars and people and mm-hmm. whatnot. But dreams—they always throw something at you, don't they? And then you're like, Ooh, "Oh, okay, here's a flying cat. <laughs> nice." <laughs> um, but as to the limits, can't really say. I mean, I always have a very active imagination, for better or worse. <laughs> I think not worse. And I had this period in my life when, whenever I went to school, I tried to imagine the houses interacting with me. Mm -hmm. So they would kind of jump out of where they were standing and dance along the street like some kind of weird (laughs) Disney Hollywood movie. And then I would take like the street lamps and put them through the house and then I'd make wings out of trees or whatnot. And
2: that kind of helped the boredom when Mm -hmm. you were in school. Um, That kind of uh, reminds me of Alice in Wonderland because I think there's this legend that it came into existence because the author was on drugs But I, whenever I hear that, I tell them, you don't have to be on drugs to have that kind of imagination.
1: (laughs) Um, No. No, you don't. (laughs) I think it depends on the person, too. I think some people are blessed with a a calmer conscience, Mm -hmm. and some people are blessed with a more colourful one, Mm -hmm. and both definitely do have their advantages. So whenever I tell my mom about it, she's she's very imaginative, but she's usually like, child. Child, why? <laughs> the limits... I, I have to admit, I never really thought about it. Limits and my dreams. Mm, I mean, there's the one taxing thing with the... There was nothing new under the sun and so on. But sometimes I kind of fear that I won't ever see anything in my dreams that I haven't seen in real life. Okay. And I, I wish that would happen. You know, I wish someday something would crop up that's just completely out of the blue. There's nothing to do with reality. Mm-hmm. And so far, it has never happened.
2: So, did you have you ever seen skeletal birds then? <laughs> or was
0: just about to ask the same?
1: Um, no, that's not so much what I mean. I mean the, <laughs> the mixture, you know? Like, if you see something in your dreams, it's usually just things from reality put into a blender mm-hmm. and then shaken out again mm-hmm. in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But what I want is a new ingredient, you know? Mm-hmm. Something that just doesn't exist... In reality, and I don't know if you can actually access something like that by just your imagination or if your imagination is always limited to things you've seen just put together Mm -hmm.
2: in you. So, maybe I mean, you said before that you never really, you're never really scared in your dreams, like you don't really have nightmares. Maybe that's a limitation, Hmm. which wouldn't be a bad one necessarily because having nightmares and being frightened isn't usually very comfortable or nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes, yeah. I am scared, but maybe maybe I'm just too dry.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: probably yeah.
0: That's probably it.
1: No, I, I honestly can't explain. I think it's rather the opposite to be honest. I think I'm I'm so much of a coward that at some point I decided I, I don't want to be scared anymore. And so I took all the necessary precautions and if that meant becoming best friends with my subconscious, then so be it. I very vividly remember I being see. a young child and being like, oh, this is uncomfortable, I don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then just very much consciously planning ahead on how to avoid this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's that might be what, have, what has happened. What
0: is this that you're avoiding now?
1: Uh, oh dear, the like same psychotherapy session. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, but definitely just, you know, uncomfortable feelings. Uh-huh. Fear they schmerz, that kind of thing. You know, when you're a child, you feel so helpless in the face of these things. You're, like, overpowered. You don't have any methods of coping. And so I think whenever I encountered, like, a big emotional or intellectual beast like that that I just couldn't tame yet, I'd very much try to find ways of dealing. And that might be part of it.
2: That reminds me of a film I recently saw. It's called Seven Minutes to Midnight. It's about a boy who is faced with challenges in his life. And so to cope with them, he has very vivid dreams that try to... He kind of creates a monster in his dreams that is protecting him.
1: Oh, I think I saw that. Is that the one where the monster is drawn?
2: Yes. I saw the trailer, yes. it looked yes. so
1: cool. I really Seven Minutes to Midnight. Yeah. Is that? that's yeah, what I it's forgot called. the title and I wanted to watch it. Isn't, isn't there somebody who has cancer too? Yeah. Yes. It's
2: it's a novel that was written by uh, a woman, I think, but then she died and then somebody made a film, something like that. I, I, I forgot the story. But it, it's a very touching story because it's um, kind of his way of coming to terms with his mother's mm. terminal illness and her dying, and that's his way of of coping with that, and it's very yeah very touching, of course, because he's I think twelve or thirteen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I loved the trailer. Saw in the movie theater, and I was like,
2: and there are great actors in there too, like top notch.
1: I <laughs> think dreams are kind of underexplored, if you ask me. Like everybody has mm. them to some capacity.
2: Well. Freud kind of explored a lot of dreams. <laughs>
1: in his own weird way. Yes.
0: <laughs> I think there's a pretty fundamental problem with dreams that, that they'll never mean as much to another person as they mean to you. I don't know. That's why, I don't know, with some people, some people like talking about dreams, but there are also others who like aren't interested in that at all. Mm.
1: Yeah. But I think most of my friends are very interested in dreams. Like, one of my friends in particular, Tessa, we always spend <laughs> ages just talking about our dreams, and I actually... Um, she told me a dream that she'd had, I think, a year ago, and I, she didn't remember the bits and pieces in the middle, and so I made up a story <laughs> connecting them, mm-hmm. and I gave it to her for Christmas. And I, I think you can learn a lot about a person by the way that they dream... Not necessarily in a Freudian way, you know, not in the oh, well, you have a daddy complex kind of way. (laughs) But in the, so this is how your mind constructs meaning kind of way. And that's just, Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting window into people's minds.
2: That's really interesting. Now I want to write a story about two people who just interact with each other about their dreams and then really get to know each other in this weird way. Ooh.
1: Go for, <laughs> <running wild. laughs> Go for it! Imagination running wild. Go for it.
2: That sounds interesting. So, yeah, if they know
1: nothing about each other but yeah. their dreams. Yeah.
2: Do you always remember your dreams?
1: Not always, but most of the time. And
2: then you remember them in detail, or do you have to write them down right after you wake up?
1: Um, it's it's a pretty even split, I would say. Okay. Uh, some of them I wake up with, and I'm like, the cat, or cats. <laughs> and I just remember like. The little things. But sometimes I wake up and it's like, I just saw a movie. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I was the main character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, I remember everything. It's usually that, you know, when you wake up and you fall asleep again, mm-hmm. and then you have a dream. Mm-hmm. You usually remember that one very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because you're actually already rested, and then your mind's just like, okay, let's go for the garbage pile. And it does its thing. Um, but I think from the middle of the night or something, those dreams just trickle down mm-hmm. and disappear most of the time.
2: Agreed. I, I barely ever remember my dreams. I mean, I do, but I have to tell them to someone mm-hmm. right after I wake up or write them down or else they're gone. Yeah. And even then, while I'm telling them, they're disappearing. I know that. Yeah, that's, that's such a weird thing. Like, yeah, and it's. I'm so angry about that sometimes because it was so fantastic or so weird or so scary, and I want to, to tell someone and I can't because it's. Yeah. They're, it's like you're,
0: you're, you're sliding down a slope of forgetting and yes, you can't find yes. a grip.
2: Yeah, Exactly, exactly.
0: Everything's eluding you.
2: Like in um, a Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the rain of forgetting.
0: In the end of the movie.
1: Oh, yes. Where people yes. step in and mm. once yeah.
2: they're hit by the rain, they keep forgetting. It's a good scene,
1: actually. Yeah. Yeah. To
2: be completely honest
1: with you, I just remember the sick bird. <laughs> that, was, that was the only thing that really stuck with me. <laughs> But yeah, I guess that's kind of how Alzheimer or something similar must feel like that you sort of remember and you try to grasp it, but you can't quite. Just mm. for regular mem- mem- memories, <laughs> memories. the brain is such a weird thing. Yeah. How about you?
0: I hardly ever remember my dreams either. But yeah, I, re- I remember those that just kind of traumatised me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you have scary dreams very often.
0: They're not really scary in itself. they're just uh, overwhelming and uh, confronting me with uh, situations I can't handle.
1: Mm, that's interesting that you mentioned that, because I once read an article that actually dreams are just about that. But the reason why we have dreams is that your brain realizes, oh, in real life this situation you can't handle yet, so we're going to run simulations until you can. And that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Because that, that would be such a smart way of handling life, you know, that your brain is just like, and here you go, and here you go, and here you go, and here you go. Oh, you've got a solution? Okay, here's something else. And that that just makes a lot of sense to me.
2: But then sometimes, I mean, I recently dreamt of a dog. Like somebody said, oh, look, that's my dog. And then the dog actually was a cat and a crocodile at the same time. It was really yeah. strange. And I was like, that's not a dog. And then he kept referring to it as a dog. Yeah, that was really strange. And so, I mean, yes, okay, I haven't been in a situation where a dog was actually a cat crocodile. So I probably couldn't deal with that if I was ever in that situation. But then again, would that ever happen? No, I, I mean, maybe it's more on a, you know, semiotic level. Maybe it's
1: more like you encountered something that a lot of people said was one thing, but you clearly saw it something else, and then you just had to make sense of it, you know?
2: Yeah, agreed. Could be. True, yeah.
1: <laughs> what a great dog you are.
2: Okay, yeah. As I do Tumblr with it,
1: people call everything a dog, just no matter what it is.
2: Okay, I'm not familiar with that.
1: Like, you see a picture of any animal, uh-huh. and it's like, good dog. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: <laughs> okay. It reminds me of that one uh, bit in Aster's movie where the, one guy is like, look at my new dog, and the other guy is, there is no dog. And then they're both like, "Ah." Oh. <laughs> cool. Uh,
2: dreams.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could talk about Dreams all day. It's just mm-hmm. so fascinating to I me. Mean, they really work, and you have them. And... Do you guys remember
2: your earliest dream?
0: Let me think. No, I, I generally have a bad memory of my own life. Mm. It's all kind of gone.
2: I remember that ages ago, I think I must have been six or seven, I went to a theater, a children's theater, with my mom and my sister. It was uh, The Ghost of Canterville. Mm. And I remember being horribly traumatized by the beheading scene and then i had a i had years and years and years where i had the same dream it's one of my earliest dreams it was that um my sister and me were at our flat in the kitchen and somebody was knocking on the door Mm. and we knew okay it's not nobody we know it's it's something bad and then we hid behind the table and then the door was opened, and this weird being entered and took off its head. Wow. And that's that's my the earliest dream I can remember. And I was so scared every night, and I had to sleep in my parents' bed for years because it haunted me.
0: I think it was traumatized but the
1: same thing. Is
0: it in The Ghost of Canterville that somebody gets uh, walled in and dies behind the wall?
1: I think you mean Edgar Allan Poe.
0: No, there's, like, a, a ghost story as well. Um, like possible.
2: Maybe. I don't remember it that closely. I just know that he was, like, the the, the ghost of Canterville was beheaded and then haunts okay. the mansion where he used to live uh-huh. and falls in love with the daughter of the family who moves there.
0: Okay, now, I, I one story I remember is where somebody was, you know... Uh, Locked into a room, and then they, like they, put bricks in front of the door, and then
2: Oh my god! Maybe that's in there too. It's possible, but I don't remember that well. Do you remember your earliest dreamery?
1: Um. Yes, I'm just looking at the Cantervilles.
2: (laughs) Wow. Maybe they, they. I think there is a scene where they lock the daughter away, because she's in love with that ghost. Something. Something. Strange happens in that family.
1: (laughs) Here it's it's just a lot of family drama. Um, I can see. Um. Yes, yes. My my earliest dream was a really the one that I remember was a really weird one. It was a white room, and in the middle there was a pedestal, and I just learned to read, and so I walked towards the pedestal, and there was an apple on it, and suddenly when I looked at the apple, the word apple appeared on the wall and a low computer like voice said Apple in German. And <laughs> it just kept happening. Like the the, the 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 written word kept appearing on the wall until the wall was covered in the word apple black and white, <laughs> like on a book like in a book. And then I just stood there the whole night looking at the apple and went Apple. Apple 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 the whole night and it was that was kind of a nightmare to be honest and i kept having that dream i think something in my brain was readjusting to reading letters now and it was just like apple
2: it sounds apple. like a modern play apple. to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> my brain's like a modern play yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was weird mhm but also kind of fun i don't know it's it's definitely unusual like i remember when i told my friends about it in elementary school and they were like
0: Dude, they were like, dude,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Question: Did you think that it had anything to do with colonialism?
0: So, are you interviewing us now?
1: No, because at the at the meeting, uh, a girl was like, "But you intended for this to be uh, a criticism of colonialism, right?" And I was like,
0: "Oh yeah, it it does ring the bell <laughs> of like residential schools."
1: Yeah, I think there is Missionary was,
0: schools, you stuff like that. read
1: it like that, yeah.
0: did you? No, I didn't think no. of that, but yeah, it would make sense. <clears throat> it was like a horrible part of our history.
1: G- because, you know, the more that I read it myself, I was like, oh wow, yeah, the white mask. Look at that. That's a symbolism right there. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't intend for it at all. Mm. Isn't
0: that what the Franz book is called? The what? The Franz Fanon book. The- Black face, white mask.
2: Mm, I, yeah. yeah. But, but Rings a bell. For our listeners, maybe they're interested in hearing in your own words. What What would you say? Mm. What do you usually write? Is it more prose or poetry or something completely different?
0: It's called black skin, white mask. Mm, yeah.
2: Black skin, white
1: mask. It's funny because I keep. Uh, talking about myself as a crime author, but I haven't actually written a single crime story.
2: <laughs> Maybe
0: what you write is just a crime.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I'm so bad. <laughs> um, but the story I've been working on for the past five years now is a crime story, which is, I think, why I still use that moniker. Um, so there was that project,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which takes so long. just just gets bigger and bigger and I just really try to contain it. But it's really hard. Like honestly at this point I'm at five books. I have five books planned. Why? Like, oh, I, I haven't even written a single one. <laughs> <sighs> um, yeah but these days I'm very busy. Um, I think the only thing I really get to write is poetry and very very short stories mm-hmm. and they usually just come out in bursts. I wish I could say I had more of a an actual writing routine at the moment, but this semester was all about the anthology,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm so glad that that went through. Yay! Uh, also, oh my god, today is the actual first day that we're an official friend. Can you believe it? Yay! <laughs> we're legal now. Yes. <laughs> we're not pirates anymore. <laughs> um,
0: Forbidden gatherings.
1: <laughs> So yes, we're we are re- legally recognized by the law, we're good citizens now, um, that, that was a lot of work. I actually wrote a lot of legal documents this semester, <laughs> and nonfiction. Um, but usually when I write it's, uh, I don't know if I really have a genre, I don't think, I think the only thing I've never tried to write was a romance story, that has not happened yet. Everything else I think I've given a shot. Mm, cool. Yeah.
0: I think there's some romance in your poem, though. I mean, that's like very childlike, yeah. school
2: kind of romance. But, but that's what we mm. talked about before. There's never just one thing in a story. Yeah. I mean, also like in a person's life, it's never just romance. It's never just horrible. It's never just great. It's always kind of everything at the same time, maybe, or... Some of those things happening at the same time, then others never happening, or others happening 50 years later, we don't know.
1: <laughs> Actually, I did write a romance, I just remembered. It was part of uh, a book that I wrote for Nano Reimer when I was 16. And it was two parallel stories one was about a girl battling depression, and one was about a guy who fell in love with his English teacher. And inexplicably, the English teacher and the girl psychotherapist were the same person. <sighs> And also not a real person at all, more of an idea. And she was called Mrs. C. And uh, in the end, it was just a thing that both of them really desperately wanted and needed in their life, but that wasn't actually there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, of course, they both had a psychotherapist and they had an English teacher, but it wasn't the person they imagined it to be. And so he starts this long relationship with Mrs. C. um, And it goes really into horrible detail of their ghastly relationship. And she fi- figures out herself, and then in the end, she triumphs, and she goes to the sea. Mm-hmm. Back then at 16, I thought was very clever, because she's called Mrs. C. Mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then at the end, it turns out that he never had a relationship with his teacher, and he just imagined the whole thing. Well,
0: that's better, I guess.
1: Yes, but it also shows the depths of his delusion. And then, end he just marries like a standard girl and tries to live a standard life, but... All the while there is just sight to him that he never really got to explore and one day it's going to explode.
2: Okay. Yeah. So kind of like a beautiful mind in a way, where the first time you watch that film it kind of blows your mind because you, you didn't get that he was just imagining these things and yeah. you thought they were really happening and then it's like, oh, what? my god. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I think this is all we have time for today, which maybe tell people where they can find you or your work on the internet before we go?
1: Uh, I don't really have a place yet. I've been thinking about setting up a website, um, but I haven't yet. I'll let you know as soon as I have one.
0: On my interview (laughs) episode, I asked people to, because I've been meaning to do the same, I've been meaning to install a blog for a while, but I can't think of a name, so I asked people (laughs) to, I begged them practically to provide me with a name.
1: I actually already have a name, because I was thinking about... (laughs) Because actually, I wanted to write a book this year. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have any time for that. But the project um, itself is called Adsomnia... Oh, God. Adsomnia... Oh, my God. Adsomnia Pestilum. Yeah, that's it. So, um, to your dreams with your pen. Mm -hmm. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so I think that's what I'm going to call my... Website at some point, maybe. Um, but I no time so Yeah, maybe in my dreams, I can sort of slip into a parallel universe and do something there. That'd be handy. I've tried a TARDIS.
2: <laughs> yeah, a bit, I mean, yeah. who doesn't? Who doesn't?
1: Yeah, everybody wants to
2: cool. have a TARDIS. So cool. Yeah.
1: We can stay in there forever. Like, just take a break, just take a holiday, just stay in there for two months and go back and then we even let this
2: yeah but I mean you can't deliberately do this because the TARDIS does whatever it wants and it i fine
0: I mean it it shouldn't it's <laughs> just malfunctioning all the time
2: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well to advertise the universe website some of our mm-hmm. writings are there as well so you can check that out
1: at universe.univ.org
2: correct um and I think You probably have heard about my blog a couple of times now, but...
0: I'll still put it in the show notes. Yes, you can
2: find it under detintenfish.wordpress.com. Check it out.
0: Check Check it it out, out. (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and as always, I still don't have a blog, so maybe the interview episode isn't out as of now as we are recording this episode, so maybe I'll have a blog already by the time this comes out. But if I don't, you can still find me uh at Leo Engelmeyer on Twitter. No blog buddies. Yeah, no block buddies. <laughs> this was episode 13 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter, we're at PodUniverse, on Facebook, or on our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Charlotte Zertz. Our guest on this episode was Marie-Therese Sauer.
2: Hey!
0: (laughs) (laughs) On the editorial board for this episode was also Charlotte Zertz. Thank you. And myself, yes. (laughs) I hope to visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.